Well, amen. How great it is to sing praises to our Lord. When we focus on who God is, sometimes we end up with kind of a tension. Is God holy or is he loving? Now, I think probably all of us in our theology would say, well, he's both, right? I mean, he's both holy and he's loving. But practically, our lives tend to emphasize one or the other more. One of the ways we live that out is if we see God as holy, we tend to focus a lot on behavior, on our behavior. Are we doing what God wants? Are we becoming holy ourselves? So we tend to focus on our obedience and feel like we better obey or somehow we'll be on God's bad side. If we see him as primarily loving, then it's easy to kind of go to an extreme and feel like, well, God is so loving, he wants relationship with me, and so he won't let anything come between us, and therefore it really doesn't matter how I live. So we can easily fall into permissiveness and feel like, well, God's going to forgive me anyway, so it really doesn't matter how I live. And we throw around terms in the Christian community like, God's unconditional love. You know, that's an interesting term because it's not a biblical term. It doesn't occur in the scriptures. And I kind of wonder if that doesn't get us into trouble sometimes because I'm not convinced God's love is unconditional. Now, I do think God gives us the gift of salvation absolutely free. Absolutely free. He died for us on the cross. We'll celebrate communion in a few minutes to celebrate what he did, the free gift of life in Jesus Christ. But God wants us to respond to that love. And if we don't respond to that love and we don't learn to walk with him and honor him with our lives, then there are consequences to it. There are, in a sense, conditions to that. Salvation is a free gift, but once we receive salvation and we experience his love, his love is a fiery, burning, purifying kind of love. Because God loves us enough to not let us just do whatever we want, knowing that that's death. But he loves us enough to have his love transform us through suffering into his likeness. Nothing can separate us from God's love. That's absolutely true. But he does want us to respond to that love. Uh, Maybe another way to put it is that God wants relationship with us, and that's why he sent Jesus to die for us. But he wants healthy relationship with us. He wants us to learn to respond to him in a proper way, to honor him as who he really is. Now, our passage today teaches that very clearly, I think. We're in 1 Samuel chapter 2. Turn there with me if you haven't already. 1 Samuel chapter 2, we'll be looking at verses 12 through 36. Uh, Look first at verse 30, because 30, I think, gives a principle at the end of the verse that uh, is really a key principle for understanding the rest of the books of 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, but even more so. It's a key principle for understanding how God is working in your life today. Listen to the end of verse 30. Those who honor me, 
I will honor, and those who despise me will be lightly esteemed. Those who honor me, and the word for honor there means to give weight to, treat as heavy, as valuable, as important, I will honor. But those who despise me, which means to treat lightly as if you don't matter, those who treat God as if he doesn't matter, will be treated lightly themselves. In this passage, I want to look at five different contrasts between despising God and honoring God to help us understand how God is working in our lives and what he desires of us in a healthy relationship, what he's working towards, what he's longing for from us so that he might receive all the glory. So let's begin with prayer and then we'll look together at this five contrasts. Lord, you are holy. You are glorious. You are worthy of all honor. And you are loving and kind and forgiving. We need to learn, Lord, to treat you as you long to be treated, as you deserve to be treated with all honor. So as we look together in this passage, may your spirit bring it to bear on our hearts and on our minds so that we might have a changed perspective and walk more closely with you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The first contrast really has to do with who you're serving. If you despise God, take him lightly, you will serve yourself. If you honor God and give him weight, you will serve him. Let's look at how this contrast is brought out, beginning in verse 12. It's describing the sons of Eli. Eli was the priest emeritus. He'd been priest for a lot of years, and now he kind of turned it over to his sons, Hophni and Phinehas. It says this in verse 12, Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. <laughs> they did not know the Lord. They had no regard for the Lord. How would you like that on your gravestone? Not good, huh? And they didn't know the custom of the priests with the people. When any man was offering a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come when the meat was boiling and a three-pronged fork in his hand. Then he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. All that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. Thus they did in Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Now understand, Shiloh was the center of worship. The temple had not been built yet in Jerusalem. So Shiloh is where the tabernacle, the tent that carried the Ark of the Covenant, had finally settled in the land at this point. And they were the priests. Also, before they burned the fat, verse 15, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give the priest meat for roasting, or he will not take boiled meat from you, only raw. The man said to him, They must surely burn the fat first, and then take as much as you desire. Then he would say, No, but you shall give it to me now, and if not, I'll take it by force. Thus the sin of these young men, Hophni and Phinehas, was very great before the Lord, for the men despised the offering of the Lord. The narrator gives us his evaluation of them. They were worthless men. They didn't know the Lord. They had no regard for the Lord. What does that mean? It means they lived as though God didn't exist. As though God really doesn't matter in my life if he does exist. Now, think about this for a minute. These were very religious men. In fact, they were in full-time ministry. 
And yet what the narrator says is they really lived as though God didn't matter at all. They despised God. They despised his offerings. Everything about them was about serving themselves. I need to be happy. I need to have what I want. I need to be fulfilled. They were seeking self-fulfillment, self-satisfaction, self-actualization, etc., You see, when self is guiding our decisions and choices, then we are despising God. Because we're saying, God, what I want is more important than what you want. I'm going to serve myself, not you. This last week was a very hard week for me. Some are. But this week was especially hard because I heard of several people who claim to be followers of Christ who have made decisions to serve self rather than God, who have said, well, I need to be happy. They've even put it in religious terms. I believe God wants me to be happy. Therefore, it's okay for me to have an affair, divorce my spouse, go my own way, give in to this particular sin. Think about that for a minute, how that's despising God. It's serving self. It says, I need to be happy, therefore, I know God says this, but I will somehow rationalize it and go my own way. And it's heartbreaking to watch people do that because they're placing themselves in the very place of Hophni and Phinehas who are saying, God doesn't matter, so I will do my own thing. What, what were they doing in particular that, in this? Well, see, when people brought a, an offering to God, they would bring an animal, And it would be sacrificed. And God's design was that the very best part of the animal, the fat portions, the best portions, would be burned on the altar as an offering to God. God, I'm giving you my best. And then the next portion, a small portion, was given to the priests for their food. And then the rest of it was meant to be part of a feast of celebration and thankfulness that the family who brought the offering would celebrate. But what these priests were doing, Hophni and Phinehas, were they were saying, you know, you know, our portion isn't enough. So we're going to take out of your portion, family, for ourselves. And we're not going to let you burn the fat portions. We're going to take that, God's portion, for ourselves as well. And so it says they were despising the offering of God. What God had established to honor him, they said, now nah, I'm more important than he is. In fact, they were using religion to serve themselves. Pretty awful. But you know what? We tend to do the same thing, don't we? It's easy to do. I've been guilty of that. In my life, one of my besetting sins has been seeking the approval of other people, relying on that rather than God. And and I've seen myself do that in my ministry, using my ministry to get approval of people. And... God has convicted me of that and I've had to repent of that because I've served self rather than God when I've fallen into that. But there's a huge contrast in verse 18 to Hophni and Phinehas and Samuel. You see, these five contrasts in this passage are between Samuel's family and Eli's family. And in verse 18, it says this, Now Samuel was ministering before the Lord as a boy wearing a linen ephod. There's a big contrast. Literally, it's Samuel was serving or ministering 
before the face of Yahweh. Before the face of Yahweh. I, I really like that picture. Here's this little boy. Hannah brought her son and said, I'm dedicating to the Lord. He can serve here where the tabernacle is and he's serving God there. But it says he's serving before the face of Yahweh, which I picture everything he does. He's keeping God's face in front of him. He's keeping God in mind everywhere he looks, everything he does. What a contrast with Hophni and Phinehas. He's working together for God's purposes. He's saying, Lord, I want to serve you. Use my life for your purposes, not to serve myself. It's a powerful picture, I think. And then it says he wore a linen ephod. Now, here's this little boy running around with this linen ephod, which had to do with over your shoulders and all. And and see, the priests were the only ones who technically wore an ephod. And the priests were to wear this ephod that had the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. It had the umim and thumim, which was how they determined God's will. It it showed that they were representatives of God. But what we see in Samuel is, I think it's very symbolic. He looked more like a true priest of God than the appointed priests, Hophni and Phinehas. He looked like a priest as he wore this little linen ephod and went around seeking to serve God with what he did. It's a beautiful picture, I think, of what it means to honor God. You see, we despise God when we say, I'm important, I'm going to serve myself first, and God, you can have the leftovers. We honor God when we say, God, I will serve you and I will keep you before me and everything I do will be run through that filter of what is your will for me? What do you want for me? So that's the first contrast. What are we serving? Ourselves or him? Do we despise him or do we honor him? The second contrast has to do with our call before God. Do we reject God's call Or do we fulfill God's call? Look down at verse 27. Eli's family's a mess. They're going their own direction. And so God sends a prophet to speak to Eli, the patriarch of this family. Verse 27, it says, A man of God, the prophet, came to Eli and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Did I not indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when you were in Egypt in bondage to Pharaoh's house? Did I not choose them from all the tribes of Israel to be my priests, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, to carry an ephod before me? And did I not give to the house of your father all the fire offerings of the sons of Israel? Why do you kick at my sacrifice and at my offering, which I have commanded in my dwelling, and honor your sons above me by making yourselves fat with the choicest of every offering of my people Israel? Therefore the Lord God of Israel declares, I did indeed say that your house and the house of your father should walk before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me. For those who honor me I will honor, and those who despise me, will be lightly esteemed. This prophet comes to Eli and says, I chose your family for a special purpose. I chose your family to be the priest, to be the the only family that could go before me and go into the temple and do the offerings 
and represent me to the people. But you've rejected it. You've despised what I've called you to do. They had privilege. They had power. They had position. And yet they had despised God and abused that and rejected God by not fulfilling what God called them to do. You see, we despise God when we know what God calls us to, whatever that calling might be. Maybe it's to die to myself and, and put my spouse first. Maybe it's to seek to really be a witness at work by how I live my life. Maybe it's to reach out to a neighbor. Whatever it might be that God has really called you to, that he's laid on your heart. When we reject that out of fear or selfishness, I can't do that, or inadequacy, and we refuse to carry that out, refuse to walk in that calling from God, that's despising him. Imagine if at work, you're at work, and the boss comes to you and says, hey, I've got a project for you to do. I want you to put the next three weeks into this project. Drop everything else, do this. Imagine if you said, well, no. <laughs> you know, I, I've got other things I want to work on, and I'm kind of focused on this, and, you know, I really don't want to do that, so forget it. You would be on the street, right? <laughs> because you would be despising your boss. You would be, not be giving him weight in what he says to you. And yet we seem to do that with God pretty easily sometimes. God lays something on our heart and we, no, I can't do that, I'm not going to do that, I've got other things that are more important and we don't follow through with that calling. But notice the contrast with Samuel's family. Look at verse 19 through 21. It says, His mother, Samuel's mother, Hannah, would make him a little robe and bring it to him from year to year when she would come up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Then Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, May the Lord give you children from this woman in place of the one she dedicated to the Lord. And they went to their own home. And the Lord visited Hannah. And she conceived and gave birth to three sons and two daughters. And the boy Samuel grew before the Lord. What a wonderful picture, I think, of faithfulness to your calling. Hannah felt called by God that if he answered her prayer to give her a son, that she would dedicate him to the Lord and give him over to be used of the Lord in the temple. Think about as a mother how hard that must have been, especially every year coming back and seeing what Eli was like, and that's who's taking care of your son. And yet you felt, God had called me to this, and so I will be faithful to that call, no matter how difficult it is. What a wonderful picture of a heart that honors God and honors the vows we make before God. Last week you heard some about Ron and Sandy Lewis, who ministered for well over 40 years in Papua New Guinea, because they felt called by God to go to that difficult, dangerous, awful place, to love the Samuel people and to translate the scriptures into their language, to create a language first and then translate it into their language so that they could know God too. They fulfilled their calling. And by the way, you heard a little bit last week, but if you want to hear more, after the service, 1230, there's a vision lunch. We'll feed you lunch and you'll get to hear more about what God did through their ministry 
over those many, many years. So we despise God when we reject the calling he's given us, but we honor God when we say, yes, God, I will do what you are calling me to do. Maybe it's not go somewhere else. Maybe it's just right in your own home to fulfill that. The third contrast I see in this passage is dealing really with your growth. Which way are you growing? (laughs) Are you growing in evil or are you growing in the Lord, growing up with God? I think what this reflects is that none of us are stagnant. None of us are stable. Sometimes we can feel like, yeah, I'm not really growing in the Lord. I'm not growing away from him, whatever. But I really believe that scriptures teach that you're either growing towards the Lord or away from him, one or the other. And to, uh, to despise God means you are growing away from him. You're ignoring him. You're doing your own thing. Verse 22 says this. I just read it, but Eli was very old. Oh, no, I haven't read this. <laughs> Eli was very old, and he heard all that his sons were doing to all Israel and how they lay with the women who served at the doorway of the tent of meeting. Think about what this is saying about Hophni and Phinehas. They're clearly becoming more and more evil over time. Now they're not just being selfish, taking whatever extra meat they want so that they can kind of feed themselves and get fat off that. But they've grown further and further from God because they have no regard for him. And now there were women that would come and serve at the tent of meeting, at the tabernacle. Women who would say, I want to dedicate my life to the Lord and so I'm willing to serve him at this tent where the ark is. And they would clean and they would serve, help with the sacrifices, etc. They were serving God there. They came with good hearts. And the priests were sexually assaulting them, sexually abusing them. Horrible. But see, that's what happens when you despise God, when you choose to go your own way and serve self first. Believe me, we are either growing closer to God or further away. And if we're despising God, we will grow further away. And in fact, what they're doing is they're actually hindering those who want to serve God and becoming a barrier to these women who wanted to serve God with their lives. I went to a family reunion just this last weekend. Saw a lot of family I hadn't seen for years. Talked to a cousin and his family who... When he was a boy, he was put in foster care. He was put in a fundamentalist Christian home. In that home, he was abused. To this day, he won't go to church. I think he has a heart for God. But he experienced something that hindered his walk with God. And... If we are despising God and saying, I'm going to go my own way, we end up in places that we could never believe that what we could do because we're either growing closer to God or further away. When we take God lightly, when we despise him and what he has to say, we will grow further from Christ. So this is a challenge, I think, to all of us to think about, are there areas in my life that I'm kind of holding on to that I won't give to God? Are there rooms in the door, in the house of our life, where we've shut the door and said, God, this is one place you're not going to go. And I'll follow you in all these other rooms, but not in this one. 
You know, let me just say to you that if that's what you're doing, if you have areas in your life like that, that eventually what's in there will begin to stink and it will permeate the other rooms of the house. That's what we see in Hophni and Phinehas. That's what happens when we despise the Lord. But there's a contrast again with Samuel and his family. In verse 21, it says, The Lord visited Hannah. She conceived and gave birth to three sons, two daughters. And this last statement, And the boy Samuel grew up before the Lord. Literally, in the Hebrew, it's he grew up with Yahweh. Think about that picture again. He, he's growing up as a little boy, but he's growing up with Yahweh. God's in it. Uh, essentially what he's saying is when you honor Yahweh, you're, when you honor God, you are making him central in your life. He is with you in everything you do and you're seeking to give everything over to him more and more. So his lordship is more and more reflected in your life. He was learning to love God more and more over time. Growing up in the Lord, with the Lord. And to be honest, folks, that only comes by being in fellowship like you are here, praise God. But it especially happens in your own times with God. In prayer, in reading the word, in studying the word. Because the world is throwing all kinds of garbage at us all the time and that will influence us unless it's being counteracted by truth and by the Spirit of God as we let the Word soak in our lives and as we pray and get to know Him better and better with our lives. And one thing the elders have been talking about, just as a bit of an aside here, is as we think about studying the Word and reading the Word, there are a number of Bible translations out there. There's a new one of the NIV coming out this year, a new revision of the NIV. And, you know, we get a lot of questions. Well, what's the best Bible translation? Well, no translation is perfect. None is. If you think of a continuum, Bible translations are somewhere on a scale, and on one end is a word-for-word translation. But if you literally did a word-for-word translation of the Greek and Hebrew, you couldn't read it. It wouldn't make any sense. It wouldn't be English. On the other extreme is to make it so easily readable that you lose the sense of the original passage. And so the question is, what do, you, what do you do here? Well, study Bibles are better if they're closer to word for word. A couple good study Bibles are New American Standard, NASB, and the ESV is a good, fairly close word-to-word translation. So those are good study Bibles. If you want one for general reading, NIV's pretty good translation. Again, no one's perfect, but it's a pretty good one for general reading. But so is ESV, the English Standard Version. It's fairly new, came out within the last 10 years. And I would just encourage you, it's nice actually to have several translations because, again, no one is perfect and to look at several if you're looking through a passage, studying a passage. But I guess my recommendation is if you can only get one Bible, I would get the ESV, English Standard Version, because it's very readable, but it's also a pretty good word-for-word translation. So... Just a plug for uh, something to read. You need to have a good Bible, though, that you can read and understand. 
because it's important that you understand what God's speaking to you about. We need to not despise God, but we need to seek him and seek to trust him with our lives, not to ignore him. Real relationship, can't, you can't ignore somebody. I, I, I have heard, I have read, you do tremendous damage to a child if you hate them. You do great harm to them. But that you do more harm to a child if you ignore them and neglect them and don't treat them as if they matter at all. Okay, I'm not recommending either one, obviously. (laughs) But think about how God feels when we just ignore him. He is the Holy One that deserves our honor and praise and yet to despise him is just to ignore what he says and go our own way. The fourth contrast I see in this passage has to do with our reputation. Verse 23 through 26. Eli is confronting his sons. Too little, too late, by the way. (laughs) He knows they're bad, but he's just speaking to them. But he doesn't really do anything about it. He said to them, Why do you do such evil things, the evil things that I hear from all these people? No, my sons, for the report's not good, which I hear the Lord's people circulating. If one man sins against another, God will mediate for him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father, for the Lord desired to put them to death. Notice that everybody knows what Eli's sons are doing. They're all talking about it. It's not hidden. The report spread to all the people. So we see that we despise God when we're like Hophni and Phinehas and we don't care about God's reputation. I'm going to go my own way, do my own thing, and it doesn't matter how it reflects to God. When we don't care what our lives are telling others about God. I've had a pastor friend who reneged on a commitment he made to buy a house. And he got a better deal, so he just backed out of it and went another way. He lost integrity in the community in which he lived. And, other, and a number of people, including my own father, said, I'm never going to that church. I wouldn't trust that guy. That happens, see? But you honor God when you say, wow, my life somehow is an open book to other people, and they're going to see, I, I don't have to have it all together, but Lord, as best as I can, I want to be honest about my failures. I want to be honest about who I am before you. And I want to honor you as, as well as I can and put your reputation first to honor you and encourage people to look at you and know how wonderful you are. The final contrast has to do with are we honoring God first or second third, fourth in our lives? Where is he in the hierarchy of our lives? Verse 29. Again, the prophet has come and is rebuking Eli. And he says this, Why do you kick at my sacrifice and at my offering which I have commanded in my dwelling and honor your sons above me by making yourselves fat with the choicest of every offering of my people Israel? Wow. He says, you have put your 
family above me. You have put your sons above me. Because Eli was clearly, and you'll see this in the next couple chapters, clearly getting fat off what his sons were taking from the people. He was benefiting off it, and so he put his sons before God. We despise God when we put him second or third or fourth in our lives and we put anything, whether it's our family, our ministry, our spouse, our job, above the Lord. That is essentially despising him. That's putting him second. Because he's Lord of the universe, he should be first. And we should honor him first in our lives. In verse 35... The prophet goes on and says this, speaking God's words, I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do according to what is in my heart and in my soul. And I will build him an enduring house and he will walk before my anointed, my Messiah, always. This is a prophecy. And this prophet says, hey, I'm going to raise up a priest. Eli, you didn't fulfill it. I'm going to raise up a priest that will follow me. And he will serve before my anointed. Now, in the book of 1 Samuel, this is partially fulfilled. The priest Zadok, a whole different family of priests, is raised up to be a faithful priest. And he serves the anointed, the king, David, King David. But David wasn't perfect. Zadok wasn't perfect. And so, ultimately, the fulfillment of this prophecy is in Jesus himself. The perfect priest the Messiah himself, where these two were combined and he is our priest forever in the presence of God, mediating for us and he is Messiah, he is Lord, leading and loving and being the king over us. And so to honor God means to honor him as all that he is. The end of the story, and we don't have time to read it all, was judgment on Eli and his family. And so we go back to this principle in verse 30. If those who honor me, God says, I will honor. Those who despise me, who treat me as if I don't matter, will be treated lightly. And this really gives us the outline for the rest of the book. And it explains the rest of the book. Eli, we see what happens to him because he despises God. King Saul, we see what happens to him because he takes God lightly. King David, we see what happens to him because he honors God most of the time, but when he commits murder and adultery with Bathsheba and Uriah, this very word is used when Nathan the prophet comes to David and says, why have you despised or taken lightly the word of the Lord? And it really explains how God works in our lives, how he so wants relationship with us, healthy relationship that he encourages us over and over to honor him more and more so that we see him and treat him as he really is. It's great to come together and worship and say, you're holy, you're awesome, you're wonderful. But we honor him when we actually serve him and put him first in our lives and learn to seek his reputation and bless him. Is God's love unconditional? Well, salvation is a free gift and we're about to celebrate it as we take communion together. Praise God, he died and it's a free gift and all we have to do is receive it. But he does want us to treasure that gift and honor it. Honor the gift of relationship with him and honor him and not to treat it lightly. Imagine 
your daughter, your little daughter, working for days on a present for you. She's so excited about it. She's made it for you. And she brings it to you, and you ignore her for a long time, and then finally you say, that's not very good, and you just throw it in the trash. What a tragedy to treat a gift like that so lightly. Well, obviously our gift of salvation is so much greater than that. And God says, honor the gift you've been given and I will bless you for it. Well, let me pray and then we'll take communion together. Lord, this is a sobering passage as we look at the contrast because if we're honest, we have to admit there are times where we take you lightly where we don't put you first, where we serve ourselves rather than you. But thank you that we have the cross, the place where we can always come for forgiveness and restoration. We can come and be healed. and We, we can renew our hearts for you and renew our honoring of you. So Lord, as we prepare to take communion now, We turn to you. We ask you to reveal places in our heart where we've closed the door and kept you out. Help us, Lord, to give those over to you that we might not take lightly the gift of life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.